And so what I want us to do, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture, and then in a minute we're going to jump over. Uh, I'm going to kind of set, the, set it up, and then we're going to jump over and look at a second passage in, in Ephesians 4, because I want to talk about this, because here's the thing. You need to understand this. If God wants to do something great, then we're going to have some obstacles. The enemy is going to provide an obstacle. And I'm convinced that one of the great... Uh, one of the great obstacles of the church is going to be our subject today, and it's this issue of unity versus unity and harmony versus dissension and disharmony. But but there's a reason, you know, there's kind of a way that that works, and so we'll get to that. But why don't we read our passage there in uh, Philippians one? Just it's just a verse. In fact, I'll read two verses just because uh, it, it may make a little more sense. But let's read two verses: Philippians one, uh, verse twenty-seven and twenty-eight. Whatever happens. By the way, let me, let me stop and set, set it up this way. Paul is, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Philippi or the Philippians. And you need, if you read the book of, if you've read Philippians much or studied much, you know that it's one of the prison epistles. And so when Paul wrote this, we're pretty sure that he was under house arrest, we're certain, he was under house arrest, and we're pretty sure he spent a lot of his time chained to a Roman soldier. And so this went on for kind of a long period. And Paul wasn't sure if he was ever going to get out. And he didn't know if he was going to live or if he was going to die. And so earlier in the chapter, earlier in chapter 1, he makes a statement. He says, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And then he says, I... You know, if I had my choice, I would like to die and go and be with Jesus. But I think it's probably better for you if I remain, so I think God's going to lead me. So in the context of that idea, he's, he's in jail. He's chained to a soldier. He doesn't know if he's going to live or if he's going to die. He doesn't know if he's ever going to speak to this church again, if this is going to be the last time, the last writing. And so in, in, in setting all that up, we get to this statement, and, and that's verse 27. Listen, whatever happens, whether I live, whether I die, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that, or then, whether I come and see you, or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you are standing firm, or that you stand firm in one spirit, Contending as one man for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. Let's pray. Father, I pray for the next few minutes that you would uh, come, your spirit would come and you would speak uh, into our hearts. Father, I pray also against the enemy. He's a liar and he's a deceiver and he's a divider and he's a dissenter. And there's nothing he would like more to do than to bring division and dissension into the body of Christ because he wants people to die and go to hell. And he knows that Christ died so people could go to heaven. And if we are reaching people for Christ, he is going to be bringing obstacles into our midst. And so I pray this morning that you would open the words of our heart and that we, or the eyes of our heart and we'd be able to see you and you would speak to us and you would show us uh, how to guard against 
the enemy and what to avoid so that he doesn't use us to derail the ministry. So God, come and meet with us. Lord, I know in a, in a group this size, not everyone here is uh, yet a believer in Christ. And it might be that there's uh, uh, some moms and dads or maybe some young people or even some children here this morning that have yet to open their heart to Christ. And in the, in the context of of the spiritual warfare and the battle and all this stuff, Lord, we're not going to say a lot about, you know, being saved, but the whole point of contending for the faith of the gospel is to share the message that Jesus died for sinners and he died to set us free. And so I pray that you'd speak into their life and in their heart as well. So God, come and meet with us as our prayer. And when you do, we'll give you the glory and the honor for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we've kind of set this up. Paul's sitting in jail. He's chained to the Roman soldier. He's writing to the church at Philippi. Some good things are happening, you know, but in the context of some good things that are happening, there's some dissension, there's some trouble. And he says, listen, I want you to understand whatever happens to me, whether I live, whether I die, whether I come to you, whether I don't come to you, doesn't matter. But whatever happens, I want you to conduct your lives or conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Now, it's important that we define a couple phrases before we kind of get to the chase. And so let's look at the phrase, conduct yourselves in a manner. There is a word in the original language. It is uh, you're, you're, I know you're dying to know the Greek form of this word is palatuoma. And I know you, you can't, that's what you came for today to hear about that. But, but it, it's, the, the word originates with a, a Greek word politis, which is a reference to, uh, to a city. And the idea is that they were to be citizens. The word was often used of a citizen in a community. In Philippi, some people considered Philippi a little Rome. And so the idea was that if you were a Philippian, you lived in a way that would bring honor to your city. As a matter of fact, I'll just read this quote, uh, this one uh, quote where it says that it means being a good citizen, one whose conduct brings honor to the political body to whom one belongs. In other words, if you are a Philippian, you should live in a way to bring honor to Philippi. Or if you're a Wimberleyan, you should live your life in a way that brings honor to Wimberley. That was the thought. And so Paul takes this word that they use in their language and he puts it in, and he says it to Christians. And he says, if you're a believer in Christ, then you should conduct your life in a way that brings honor to the one to whom we belong. Now, who do we belong to? We belong to Jesus, right? To God. If you're a follower of Christ, you belong to Jesus. And so what Paul is saying is that whatever happens, stuff's going to happen. He said to the church in Philippi, stuff's going to happen. I may live, I may die, I may come, I may not, but stuff's going to happen. And whatever happens... You need to live in a way that's going to honor Jesus. Now, I don't know how it is in your life, but stuff happens in my life. It just does. Sometimes I'm coming. Sometimes I'm going. Sometimes I don't know if I'm coming or going. Sometimes you don't know that either. But whatever happens, Paul says you need to conduct your life in a manner that brings honor to the one to whom you belong. And then he uses this other little word. It says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. 
Now, worthy is from the Greek word axios. I couldn't remember that word in the early service. It's from the Greek word axios. There's a verb form, axio. And, um, but the idea is kind of weight. And sometimes they use the word for a fulcrum or a balance. Now, I thought about bringing a seesaw up here and putting it on stage. But I was afraid Will and Jeremiah would get up here and, and you know, try to see who could go the highest. But, but the idea of the word is, is it kind of, because it means weight, it kind of means balance or fulcrum. And so the picture is that to, to be worthy is to, to have balance. It's to be balanced. You know, in the early service, we sang a song about how God is worthy. Well, God is worthy because he's, a, he's this perfect balance of holiness and righteousness and justice and love and grace and mercy. God's, he's just, he's perfectly balanced and so he is worthy. Well, Paul says we're to live our life in a manner worthy of the gospel. Now, here's the, here's the thing I want you to understand. Maybe the greatest issue for the church in terms of how we relate to people on the outside, maybe the biggest obstacle that we have is that when they look at your life and they look at my life, they don't see balance. And so, because we're Christians, we have a system of belief. We believe the Bible. And we believe that since we believe the Bible, that we should do what the Bible says. And so we espouse our belief system. And we're Christians and we, I believe this and this and this. And so people look at that and they go, good, that's good. But then if we're going to be worthy, if we're going to have a worthiness in our life, if we're going to have balance, then what we believe or what we say we believe should be reflected in how we behave. And so when you, when our belief and our behavior measures up, our life has balance. And our life is worthy of the gospel of Christ. We conduct ourselves in a way that brings honor to the one whom we belong. And so what that means is that our beliefs and our behavior should go together. Steve Bond, in a sermon he, he shared uh, a while back, made this statement. He said, people are amazed at what we believe as Christians. And then they are scandalized by how we behave. And so one of the great obstacles to the church's ministry is we have, because we follow Christ, because you named the name of Jesus, because I named the name of Jesus, and we say, I, I belong to Christ. We have this system of beliefs. And because we believe this, they have this expectation of us. But then they look at our life, and they go, oh, no. They say they believe, but the way they behave tells a different story. And so Paul's writing to the church in Philippi and he's saying to them, man, stuff, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's coming down the pipe. But what I do know is that you need to conduct your life. You need to order your behavior. You need to live your life in such a way that, that you're worthy of the gospel, that what you say you believe is equal to the way that you behave. 
And if God could, if Paul could speak to us today as First Baptist Church, and if he could speak to the, the churches in Wimberley and the churches in America, he would say, you need to conduct your life in a way that is worthy of the gospel. Now, since we're talking about behavior, we could talk about all, we could talk about morality. We could talk about purity. We could talk about honesty and integrity. We could talk about, you know, you know, there's just a lot of different places we could go with this. And who knows, we may go with this somewhere. But in the, in this context, Paul was talking about a specific issue. And so let's read on in verse 27. He says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that the word then could also be translated so that whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Now, what Paul's focus here is, is he says, you need to conduct yourselves. You need to, you need to live your life in a way that's worthy in the context of unity, in the context of harmony. Because what often happens is our, in this area of harmony and unity, what we say we believe doesn't pan out in or translate into how we behave. And so Paul's writing to the church and he says, you need to stand firm in one spirit and you need to contend for the faith as one man, which literally could be translated striving together uh, in one mind. But so, so here's the thing. If we're going to have unity and if we're going to have harmony in the body of Christ, then what needs to happen is, is we need to, we need to stand firm. And we need to contend or strive together. And so we're going to talk about those individually. So when Paul's saying you need to stand firm um, in one spirit, kind of the idea, one of the ideas that emanates out of that is that we need to learn to control our feelings in the context of our spiritual behavior. I, I found this out a few years ago. I don't know if you've ever figured this out. But I figured out a few years ago that I'm not always going to get my way. Has anybody... Has anybody figured that out? This is not rhetorical. I'm asking, I want to know. Am I the only guy? See what I, I, it really, it really came to, to light. Uh, and my wife snuck in from 252. I shouldn't say this, but it really came to light. You know, when I got married, all of a sudden I didn't get to do whatever I wanted with my time. I mean, I, you know, it just, you know, it, I just realized. And then we had kids and I realized I don't always get my way. And then I moved from being a youth pastor to a senior pastor. I was like, wow, you really, I don't always get my way. And, and you figured that out. When you go to work, when you go to class, when you go to, uh, when you go to grandma's, I mean, listen, we don't always get our way. And some of us haven't, some of us have yet to figure out that even though you don't always get your way, you think you're supposed to. And so when you don't get your way, you get all worked up. And, and people don't realize, and there's people that come to church, not just our church, but there's some that come to our church and they think, I should get my way. If I want to be a part of this, I should be able to. Or if I think we should do it this way, we should do it. And they, they, they hadn't figured out that, that they're not always going to get their way. There's people at your work. You work with them. 
Or maybe they're in your homeowners association. And they think they should get their way. And when they don't get their way, what do they do? They bow up. And then they blow up. They get all mad. And they get all worked up. They think, well, I should get my way. It's about me. And, and it happens in every arena of life. Man, it happens. Listen, for some of you, it happened at your house this weekend. Maybe it was this morning getting ready for church. I want a Pop-Tart. I want bacon. And before you know it. And so, but what happens is we've got to learn how to control our feelings and our reaction when things do not go our way. Because things aren't always going to go your way. It's not going to go your way at home. It's not always going to go your way at work. Even if you work for yourself, you work for somebody else. You say, well, preacher, I work for myself. Somebody's got to buy your product. I mean, it's just going to happen. You're going to come to church. You're not always going to get your way. And you can get mad at me. You can get upset with me or with somebody else. But I'm just telling you, you're not always going to get your way. I'm not always going to get my way. You know why? It's not my church. And it's not your church. So it's not about getting my way or your way. It's his church. And so we're going to do things his way as best we can. We're always going to do that. And, and so it's not, it's not always going to work out the way we want it to. And so what we've got to learn how to do is we've got to learn how to control our feelings but typically what happens, as I said, is we get angry. Now, look over with you, if you will, to Philippians, or excuse me, Ephesians chapter 4. And I want to bring in a couple verses that kind of shed some light on the subject. Because there, there, there's two dangers. If we don't control our feelings, there's, there's two really important dangers. And let's just read about them. Verse 29, Ephesians 4. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. That it may benefit those who listen. Man, there's a, that's a whole separate sermon. But let's read on. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God has forgiven you. Now, listen, listen. Normally what happens when we don't get our way is we get uptight. Or sometimes what happens when we don't get our way is we get worked up. I mean, I was telling the early service, you know, I I really like college basketball. And I had three teams I really liked. We've had three and a half rounds in the tournament and all three of my teams are already out. They're just gone. I mean, you, my, my favorite team didn't make, they didn't win one. And then I had Wyatt come over Thursday night to watch a game. And, you know, my second favorite, or my third favorite team, they won. And then I started watching the team I really like second, which is Duke. And man, they looked really good. And then they didn't even show up the second half. And, and, you know, I just wanted to get to, I mean, I was just, you know, just wanting to get worked up. And then I realized it ain't no big deal. But that happens. It, it happens with a team you root for. Your kids play them ball and they don't get in the, and the coach doesn't start them or they don't get as many at bats as you think they should get. And we just, we just starts building up. Or you come to church and, and you think it ought to be this way and it's that way. Or you go to work and, and, and you were, you know, the boss said you were supposed to do this and it turns out he wants you to do that. And, and we just, man, the, the natural tendency is, 
Man, it didn't go my way. And so we get, we want to get angry. I mean, it's, it's just, it's human nature. It's the sinful human nature to get angry when things don't go our way. And it's probably okay if we deal with the anger, but typically we don't deal with the anger. Typically we don't repent when we have unrighteous anger. We just kind of let, or sometimes we let it seed and we let it grow. And we kind of get mad at our spouse or we get mad at our boss or we get mad at our employer or we get mad at our pastor or we get mad at our Sunday school teacher or we get mad at our friend or whoever it is or at our parents or at our kids or at their coach or at the parents of the kids you're coaching. Whatever, you know, whatever the scenario is, but, but we get this anger and, and, and what we do is we just repress it and we suppress it and we just we don't deal with it. And the Bible says... That if we don't deal with our anger, then anger turns into bitterness. If you stay angry long enough, you'll get bitter. And I know people who have been hurt by the church. I know people who have been hurt by a company. I know people who have been hurt by a spouse or hurt by a parent or hurt by a child. And they they got angry about it and they never dealt with their anger. They never got forgiveness. They never gave forgiveness. And they spend their whole cotton-picking life seething with anger. I mean, you've seen them. I mean, you've just seen them. They come to church or they go to work and they're just, you, you just, they're just, they got a scowl on their face. There was a, I had a lady in my church one time. She didn't like the music. She just didn't. I mean, we had a little bit for everybody. And she liked her part. She didn't like the other part. And she would walk around the halls. And about five minutes after the music ended, she would just come marching in real slow. Just slow. And she'd sit down. She just wanted everybody to know. Uh, it, it, this, this isn't one Sunday. She'd just do this. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd baptize and be walking back, and she'd be walking in the halls. I'd go in, sit down, stand up to preach, about five minutes. She'd come in, and she'd plop down. And she just thought, I just want everybody to know I'm mad. And everybody knew. And everybody also knew that she was not very mature. That she had never dealt with her issue. And so what we've got to do, if we're going to control our feelings, we've got to learn how to deal with our anger. And if things don't happen your way, and if things don't happen my way, guess what we need to do? We need to repent. But Mike, somebody did me wrong. Okay, then you go to that person that did you wrong and say, you know, you offended me. But I'm going to forgive you. You say, I don't know if I can. Well, Look at verse 32. What does verse 32 say? Ephesians 4. It says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. We don't really have an option. But you don't know what they've done. doesn't matter. I know what I've done, and Jesus forgave me. You know what you've done. Jesus forgave you. So we have, an, we have a responsibility to forgive. So, so if you're going to control your feelings, if I'm going to control my, control my feelings, I've got to learn when someone offends me, when things don't go my way, when things don't work out the way I think I, they, I think they should, I, we got to get over it. And if you don't get over it and you got anger, then you need to confess. You need to repent. And you need to move on. But often that's not what happens. And so what we do, look at verse 29. Here's what we do. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up. But we, we let unwholesome talk come out of our mouth. You know, we get grumpy. 
And we grump around, kind of like the lady that marched around the hall during the music. We just want everybody to know. I'm bitter Bob. I want you to know it. And then we look for people we can talk to. Never the person that offended us. People, we, we get offended by our spouse or our kids, and we go to work and we talk to people at work about what happened at home. Or we go to class and we talk about how our parents didn't, you know. And then stuff happens at work. We don't deal with the person we, that offends us at work. We go home and we talk to our spouse about what happened at work. Or the coach doesn't put our kid in the game and we think our kid's the best one on the team because, you know, our kid's always the best one on the team. And so we go to church and, and get around a group of people and we complain about the coach. But we never go to the coach. Or things don't happen the way we think they should at church or in Sunday school or the pastor does this or the music director did that or, or, or whatever. The, the grounds person didn't do what you thought he should. And so we go out to the barber and we're complaining about what happened at the church, but we never go to the person that we got an issue with. And so what happens is this unwholesome talk comes out of our mouth. But Paul says, no, that's not what we should do. He says, you know, do not let unwholesome talk come every time, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. And so if we're going to, listen, if we're going to settle the issue of disharmony and disunity and dissension in our church, if you're going to settle it in your marriage, if you're going to settle it, settle it in your workplace, if you're going to settle it on your kid's ball team or in your homeowners association, wherever it is, if there's dissension and disunity and disharmony, then we got to learn how to, to, to control our feelings by dealing with our anger and avoiding this hurtful, gossipy, slanderous speech. If you got, if I have an issue with someone or if you have an issue with someone, the biblical way to deal with it is you go to that someone and say, I've got an issue with you. Now you're saying, but that, that's uncomfortable. That's hard. Sure it is, but it's right. It's easier to go talk to somebody else about this person than it is to go to this person and talk about the issue. But it's biblical to go face to face. It's unbiblical to go to someone else. And if we go over here, instead of dealing with the issue, we're creating disunity. We're creating disharmony. And ultimately, we're inviting the devil in. As a matter of fact, look up in, if you're in Ephesians 4, look up in verse 26. Well, let's read verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we're all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Uh, I got this statement in my notes I didn't share with you, but let me just share it with you. This is a great statement. It says, uh, not only does disunity give the devil a foothold, which is what it does, not only does disunity give the devil a foothold, but it, it pushes out or it grieves the Holy Spirit. So if I choose or you choose, whether it's in our marriage, whether it's in our relationship with our kids, whether it's a friendship, whether it's at work or church, doesn't matter where it is. If we choose, if we choose to gripe or complain or remain anger and not deal with the issue, if we choose this disunity and disharmony, we're giving the enemy a foothold into that relationship or into that organization or institution. And at the same time, we're pushing the Spirit of God out. 
Jesus said, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand, Matthew 12, 25. And if we bring division into our relationship, whether it's our marriage, whether no matter what it is, whether it's our church, when we bring division in, when we allow division in because our unwillingness to, to do what we're supposed to do, then we're inviting the enemy in and we're pushing the Spirit of God out. So we need to control our feelings by dealing with our anger and by controlling our mouth. And not, Hey, if you've got an issue with somebody, man up and go to that somebody and talk to them. Don't go to everybody else. And by the way, I didn't say this to early service. I need to. If somebody comes to you and wants to, you know, if I come to you and want to talk about Wyatt behind his back, you need to say, Mike, let's go talk to Wyatt. Don't, don't listen to, don't let, don't let somebody come to you and badmouth somebody else. You send them to where they need to go. You know, I remember this was years ago. This lady said, you know, Mike, people just, people just always feel comfortable talking to me. I'm like, well, yeah. You know, people love to go dump their garbage somewhere if nobody tells them it's wrong. I mean, and I, she, she would tell me, oh, people just like to talk. I said, you just like to listen. She didn't share a whole lot more with me after that. But, but listen, if you listen to people gossip, complain, and be negative and criticize other people, they're going to keep coming back. Well, I just don't understand why people still feel so comfortable with me. Well, when they come to you to complain, go with them to who they're complaining about. Tell you what they won't do. They won't come back to you anymore. But we, we got to deal with that because if, if we don't deal with that, then dissension and disunity and disharmony comes into the body and it pushes the Spirit of God out. And if the, it, Listen, if we let the enemy in and we push the Spirit of God out, how under heaven are we going to be able to contend for the faith of the gospel? And that's what we need to do. We need to control our feelings. But then he also says we need to contend for the faith of the gospel. Listen, our focus in our church, and I, I'm going to talk less about the the marriage, the home, the work, and all the other relationships. But let's talk about the church relationship for a minute. Listen, primarily as a church, we need to contend for the faith. That word is is strive together. It's from a word that means strive together. Uh, I- interestingly enough, it's a it's it's from the word steko. But uh, there's another word, strive together, that means um, that it's a it's kind of a compound word that includes the word athletics or athlete and. Paul in in this book, even though Philippians was a book on joy, there's over there's I think uh, if memory serves me correct, there's about 16 references to striving together in the context of the gospel to share the gospel, and he kept over and over. Paul addresses this issue of disunity and striving for the gospel. I mean, look over in chapter two. Go back to Philippians and look at. Uh, Chapter 2, we'll pick up in verse, let's pick up in verse 2. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, that's unity, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Over chapter 4, verse 2. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche, or however you say that name, to agree with each other in the Lord. I mean, they had the problem. They had joy and rejoicing, but they had there, there was a problem of harmony and dissension. And Paul kept saying over and over, "Deal with it, deal with it, deal with it," so we can strive together for the faith of the gospel. And, and interestingly enough, 
He uses the idea of, of athletics. And, and I want to think this morning about the idea of a team. I mean, we're a team. As a church, we, as a body of Christ, we are a team. And we're all part of the team. And you know this is true. If you're on a team, they don't all, you don't always get the hit. You don't always get to carry the ball. You don't always get to shoot. The coach doesn't always call a play that you want him to call. In fact, if you're on a team, sometimes you don't even get in the game. But you're still part of the team. And even if they don't call your play or they don't call your number or you don't get to do it the way you think it or that doesn't mean you quit the team. That doesn't mean you go undermine the, the team. We support the team. And God's put us together as a team. And, and, and our, our goal is to contend for the faith of the gospel. Man, there's, uh, we did a survey, and I don't know if I shared this with you or not, but a couple weeks ago I did a little survey. Within a 15-mile radius of Wembley, there's 130,000 people. 130,000 people. And 7 out of 10 of them, based on the statistics, are lost. So within 15-mile radius of our church, there's 90, over 90,000 people who if they died today would die without Christ and spend eternity in hell. We need to contend for the faith, not sit here and argue about what color we think the walls ought to be or, or whether the preacher should wear a tie or not or what kind of... None of that stuff matters. Do you think that matters? And so Paul says, no matter whatever happens... Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel so that whether I come or not, whether I live or die, you're striving together as one man, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. Man, we're a team. And we need to be committed to our team. Because God's called our team to do something bigger and more important than any other team in the world. And that is to take this glorious gospel of Christ this life-changing message of salvation and to share it with people who are dying and going to hell. And that's what he's called us to do. And so what needs to happen in your life and what needs to happen in my life is we say we believe all this stuff. We say we believe all this stuff. Then we need to behave. We need to behave in such a way that we act out what we say we believe. And it doesn't matter if you're a student or a parent or a grandparent or a pastor or a Sunday school teacher or maybe you're not even a member here but you name the name of Christ. Man, what we, our, our behavior and our belief ought to measure up. They ought to measure up. And when people look at you and me, if for whatever else they say about us, they ought to be able to say, that guy's genuine. That guy's real. That lady, she's, she's real. Her talk and her walk match up. Now, here's my question for you. Does your talk and your walk jive does the way you behave prove what you believe when someone looks at your life when someone listens to your conversation when someone sees you shop at the grocery store when they hear you talk at the beauty shop or the barber shop 
when you're having a conversation at the ball field or in the parking lot or the hallway? Does what you say you believe match up with the way you behave? If not, if not, you should repent and and ask God's forgiveness. The Bible says, First John one nine, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just, will forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I mean, God stands ready to forgive us and to change us, but we got to be willing to walk worthy of the gospel. Now, it might be that you're here this morning and you go, man, he's talking about other stuff about the church. Let me just say this. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of warfare in the church today because the message of the church is so important. And that message, the gospel message, is that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to many, as many as 500, and believing in that gospel will give you forgiveness of sins and a brand new life. And so there's a battle because Satan don't want that message to go out. Satan doesn't want you to hear that message. And it might be that you're here and you've never surrendered your life to Christ. Can I just say to you, the most important thing you'll do in your whole life is decide what to do with Jesus. The reason I'm committed to contending for the faith, the reason churches are committed to overcome all the stuff is because we have the words of life. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And the only way to get to the Father is to go through His Son. And so if you've never given your life to Him, I hope that today, today, you'll open your heart to Jesus. But if you're a believer, if you're already a believer, I hope you'll decide today, I'm going to contend for the faith. And I'm going to do my part so that, my, that what I believe and the way I behave measure up. Let's pray together. Father, I know that it is, it's a battle. Life is a spiritual battle between Satan and in the kingdom or in the king. And Lord, I know that in our own life, you know, things don't go our way. We overreact. We don't deal with it correctly. And God, I understand because I, I, like, I like my way. I, I do. I like to spend my money and my time and, you know, the way I want to do it. But God, it's really not about me. It's about you. And God, I pray for each one of us here this morning that will understand that it really is not about us. It's about walking worthy and living in harmony so the message goes out loud and clear that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So God, help us. Lord, I pray for each person here. I know, I know Father, you want to speak into some hearts. And I know, Father, you want to speak into some lives this morning. And God, I know that maybe even in the auditorium, there's some men, women, boys and girls, young people who have never opened their heart to Jesus. And I know this hadn't been evangelistic, but it's about the gospel because the gospel's at stake. 
And the Bible says there's no other name, no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. And so my prayer for those who have never surrendered is that today they would pray a simple prayer of faith and invite Jesus to come in their life and to be their Lord and their Savior. Got to ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's what I want to do this morning. Uh, the, the band's going to play. In just a minute, not yet, but in a minute we're going to stand. Before we do, uh, if you've never given your life to Christ, man, I hope you'll do that today. Why it's going to be down here, I'll stand down here. We'd love to pray with you and help you give your life to Christ. But you may not be ready for that. And so there, take your little information card that's on your program and just jot a, There's a place for you to just check a note that says, hey, I, I need some more info about Jesus. I'd love, it'd be, a, it'd be my my greatest joy and why it's and really a lot of our people's greatest joy to share with you about how to open your heart to Christ and so if you're not willing to come here and say hey I want to give my life to Jesus just drop that in the offering plate in just a few minutes we'll give you a call we'll sit down and have lunch and we'll talk you know we'll share with you about how Jesus has changed our life but for a lot of us Christ lives in our heart and I believe we need to reflect on that they are right there does my belief and my behavior, does my walk and my talk measure up? If it doesn't, I'm going to ask you to make your way down, get on your knees right here at either set of steps. And say, you know what, Jesus? I, I want to get I want to get balance in my life. And if you don't have balance, I hope you'll come. Now, you don't have to come here to ask for that. You can stand right where you are, sit right where you are. But there's something about the public decision that makes a difference. So if God's speaking into your life, you need to make a public decision. We want to give you an opportunity to do that. So why don't we stand together? If someone needs to slip out and get by you, please let them do that. If you need to come and pray or if you need to come and give your heart to Jesus, I hope you'll come. Uh, Dan's going to play. Dan's going to play the Lord.